Thank you for listening to Waterstone Community Church. We hope you are enjoying God's word proclaimed. We are a growing movement of transformed people, reshaping the culture to reflect God's heart. As the Advent season is upon us, we would like to cordially invite you to our Christmas Eve service. Join us Monday, December 24th at 1, 3, 5, or 7 p.m. Visit our website at waterstonechurch.org for information. We uh, hope to celebrate the birth of Christ together with you. Merry Christmas, and may God bless your 2019. On this third weekend of Advent, we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. Lord Jesus, Son of God, you sent your spirit to dwell in us. Be the center of all that we are and the life that we lead. Lord Jesus, light in this dark world, you sent your spirit to bring us into the truth. Be the center of all that we are and the life that we lead. Circle us, Lord. Circle our families within the shelter of your outstretched arms. Protect them in each moment of their daily lives. Protect them in the decisions that they face. Protect their homes and relationships. Lord of creation, Lord of salvation, circle our families with the light of your presence. We pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Begin this morning with a word for our members and regular attenders. We are nearing the end of our fiscal year at the end of December, and uh, December is usually one of our highest months as far as budgeted income coming in, about $300,000. We came into December this year with about a $100,000 um, deficit in our giving budget. So we're behind. So we are asking those of you who call Waterstone Home to consider an additional gift during this month, large or small. It all adds up. We've been here before. We can do this. And I just wanted to make you aware of the situation. I also want to remind you this morning of what you're giving, your money, when it's exchanged into kingdom currency, looks like. We recently had a missions team in Mozambique. And there was a moment, this is from Paul Joslin, our missions pastor, there was a moment at the end of the trip when a few of the new believers prayed for our mission team and our journey home. The people praying 
were some of the first followers of Jesus from their people group, the Makua Nahara. As our group drove away, Lynn, one of the missionaries who's been influential in the start of this new young church, said she loved hearing them pray in their native language because it meant that those praying were giving some of the first prayers ever offered up to God in that language. Those are the exchange rates of our money into kingdom currency. So thank you for your consideration and your faithful support of Waterstone. Well, I have an observation for you. Christmas observation. See if you agree. The older we get, the harder it is to buy for us. Do you agree? Yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> so, I have help for you this morning. I found a website, it's called Uncommon Goods, and they give gifts for the people who are hard to buy for. See what you think, get your phones ready. Take pictures of these. There's the the Umabowl. Chips and salsa in one hand. So that with the other hand, you can play cornhole tabletop. There you go. And then there's uh, socks. Who doesn't need a pair of socks? If you can read this, leave me alone. I'm watching Hallmark movies. We'll call them TV socks. They're actually called elderly socks. <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, Bourbon-infused coffee, so you can uh, be stimulated and sedated in the same sip. <laughs> and finally, the homesick candle. Uh, now, what I would squabble with here is their marketing approach, giving Texas and New York, in my mind, two of the lowest percentages of homesickness you could choose <laughs> in the country. So I know I've just made enemies in the room, including my own wife, but uh, sometimes you got to tell the truth. Another observation. The older we get with God, the easier it is for us to leave the greatest gift we've ever received still wrapped. Today, we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit, the gift that we sometimes leave still wrapped wrapped. We'd like to talk about who the Holy Spirit is, and then we'd like to talk about what the Holy Spirit does. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, uh, we'll just take a 30,000-foot view over Scripture and uh, throw some things out there, get a sense of who the Holy Spirit is. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's not a force or a ghost. He's a person, uh, a spirit, who is God's agent of relationship, God's director of assimilation. He is a person. And so in the scriptures, you read, especially the book of Acts, which is kind of the, the laboratory of how we see the Holy Spirit work, how he launched the church. You see things like it says about the Holy Spirit, that he thinks, that he speaks, that the Holy Spirit listens, that the Holy Spirit leads. All of these phrases describing personal qualities that the third person of the Trinity has. And one of the ones I wanted to show us this morning is this one from Ephesians 4. The Holy Spirit feels and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed 
for the day of redemption, but he has feelings. So the Holy Spirit is a personality and a person, but he's a divine person. What's very clear in scriptures is that the Holy Spirit is divine. So we see it in places like Matthew 28, where the Trinity is mentioned. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One of several places where all three members of the Trinity are mentioned in a sentence. You also see, at times, certain divine attributes used to describe the Holy Spirit. So in a place like 1 Corinthians 2, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. And these are the things God revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. These verses telling us, describing the Holy Spirit, that he is all-knowing, that he is the mind of God and knows the mind of God. And then also in the Psalms, would you read this with me? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If you go up to the mountains, you are there. If you make my bed in the depths, you are there. God's spirit is everywhere. His personal presence fills all existence. And then, an interesting passage to be sure in Acts chapter five, uh, I'm using it to, to say that the things that are said of God are also said of the spirit, but I do feel I need to say something about this passage. Um, it's one I've never preached on and God willing will never ever in my entire life until I'm home. Um, but it's Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a piece of land. Everyone in the early church was doing it to support the church and its mission. Ananias and Sapphira say they sold the land for this much, but they only give this much, and they keep some of it for themselves. But what they're really doing is getting in the way of God's glory. And God, instead of mediating church discipline through the church leadership, decides to go around the church leadership and just take care of the problem himself. And he brings Ananias and Sapphira home to heaven sooner than later. Tough passage. What I want us to see is this. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to whom? The Holy Spirit. And have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, if they would have just told the truth, there would have been no problems. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to? In other words, the Holy Spirit is? They've lied to God, they've lied to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. What's said of God is said of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a person, God's person, third person of the Trinity with personality. He is divine, has divine attributes. He is co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and the Son. And then lastly, I think it's interesting for us as we think about who the Holy Spirit is to think about how Jesus describes him. In John chapter 14, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. The Greek word there is, you may have heard it if you've been around the church for a while, it's one that we often use in a Greek language. It's called paraclete or parakletos. It literally means lawyer, 
or advocate, one who comes to the aid of someone who's in trouble. It comes from the legal world to describe a lawyer as someone who can represent us before God and represent us before the world and come alongside and help us. What's also interesting is the word was well known in military circles. In Roman armies, there was a battle technique called the paraclete. And that was when you were out of the battlefield fighting and a sergeant would cry out, paraclete! And what they would do is get into pairs and they'd fight back to back. So you'd have your enemies, but someone would always have your back while you pursue mission. That's the Holy Spirit. He has our back while we move forward in mission. So uh, the Holy Spirit, person, uh, divine, and uh, uh, parakletos. But let's talk now about how the Holy Spirit, that's who he is, how does he engage us? How do we come into relationship? If he's God's agent of relationship, how does he engage us in relationship? An interesting passage in Titus. When... The kindness, but the, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through, here's the phrase for us, the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. These two phrases are significant and talk about how we come into relationship with God, about how the Holy Spirit moves into our lives when we decide to follow Jesus and give him our allegiance. Rebirth, where did he get that word? Where did Paul get that word? I suggest to you he got it from Jesus. In John chapter three, remember Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus, one of Jesus' pastors and religious leaders, and he says to Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are, do you remember? Born again. Now that phrase in our culture comes under some sneers and smears at times, born again or born again Christian, but I would remind us that Jesus coined the phrase. And he talked about how in the same way when this mysterious union of a man and a woman come together and produce a child, the spirit of God and the human spirit of a person come together and also produce a child, a child of God. And the Holy Spirit moves into our lives when we receive Jesus, his spirit comes in and indwells us, moves into our soul house And we suddenly have God living with us in the same way we have a child living in our home. God moves in and things begin to change, begins to renew us inside out and there's always his presence with us. We're never alone again. I've never forgotten an illustration I read years ago about a man named Dennis Kinlaw who was the president of Asbury Theological Seminary but he started in ministry as a pastor in upstate New York. One particular Sunday, a man was in his audience. His wife had been coming for years. He joined her one Sunday, and bada-bing, bada-boom, the Holy Spirit moved into his life, opened his eyes, helped him to see Jesus, that he gave him a gut feel. He is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do, and he gave his life to Jesus right after the church service. Few weeks later, Dennis and this new Christian had coffee. And this guy, even he picked him up, and they rode together. Even in the car, he started in. He started saying things, this new Christian, like, well, the spook showed me this, and the spook told me that, and the spook began to reorganize my priorities. And Dennis Kinnell's like, the spook, the spook. 
And he finally realized that this man coming from a completely secular background was in his rock-hewn pagan language trying to describe the experience of how the Holy Spirit move in. And the only word he could use to describe the experience was the spook. That's what he's trying to describe, the indwelling of the Spirit who comes in and begins to reconstitute him inside out. Some of you came this morning you're trying to figure out what Christianity is. Maybe you're even interested in, in even uh, wanting to know what it is to have a relationship with God and, and know him. Well, I would say this, not a warning, an invitation, but an invitation with eyes open. Here's what you're getting into. It's described this way in 2 Corinthians 5 when Paul describes what it means to become a Christian. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. I want you to be mindful of the massive changes if you receive Jesus that are going to come into your life. You see, most of us come to Jesus, and rightly so, because we need something. We're sad, we're broke, we're broken, we're guilty, you name it. In fact, that's perfectly logical and how it starts for us. Even Jesus himself presented an invitation in those terms. He said, are you thirsty? I'm the living water. Drink from me, you'll never be thirsty again. Are you hungry? I'm the living bread. You eat what I have to offer, you'll never be hungry again. It's always based on human need. And so we come to Jesus, we have these things we need, but here's what I want us to see, eyes wide open. You come to Jesus and you say, well, my identity is sagging. Would you boost me up? Jesus is not going to only come into your life and help you. He's not going to just boost your sagging identity. He's going to give you a whole new identity. Jesus is not going to come into your life by the power of his spirit and just help you fulfill your goals. He's going to come in and give you a completely new agenda. That's what it means to be a new creation in Christ. So back to Titus. It's the washing or baptism of rebirth and renewal, another interesting word. Where did Paul get that word to describe what it means when the Holy Spirit moves in? I suggest he got it from Jesus. Matthew chapter 19, the same word is used. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal. It's an interesting word, it's a compound Greek word, palin, which means new, genesia, which you can hear the word genesis, beginning. New beginning. I tell you, at the new beginning of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also, he's talking to his 12 disciples, sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Everyone, you and I included, who have left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that there is coming a time, a moment of history, the goal of history, the end of history, when all that is broken will be mended, when all hopes will be fulfilled, when everything of God's shalom and wholeness will be realized, when, as J.R. Tolkien once said, Everything sad will come untrue. When, as Isaiah said, everything will dance and the trees of the fields will clap their hands. That 
day is coming. When? When Jesus takes his throne. Well, when did Jesus take his throne? After his resurrection, when he was hoisted back up to heaven, we call it the ascension, he sat down at the right hand of the Father where he is today, and what's he doing? Sitting on the throne. Jesus is already on the throne, ruling and reigning now. His kingdom is here. Now, not yet in its fullness. It's already here, but not yet fully consummated or realized. But the palingenesia has started. And how is it progressing today? It's progressing through you and I, on whom the fire of the Holy Spirit sits and indwells us, and through our deeds with our hands and through our words of witness. The palingenesia has begun, and it continues through this age until Jesus comes again and everything is new. But, but dude, are you, it started now. You and I, this fire of the Holy Spirit. So let's pause there. That's who the Holy Spirit is. A great video to summarize everything and then we'll go and talk about what the Holy Spirit does. This is from the bibleproject.com. We live in the age now of the Holy Spirit. He is indwelling in us and using us to carry the promise and the demonstration of the new creation that's coming at the end of the age to carry it now and display it to the world. So let's talk now about how that happens. How, what does the Holy Spirit do and how does he display God's love and new creation through us to the world? We talk about it quickly. Uh, you could preach many, many weeks on this. We'll just talk about it uh, in three, three things about family. What does the Holy Spirit do? First, he makes us family. Would you read this aloud with me? Romans chapter eight. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The metaphor of adoption describes how this connection with us, uh, a follower of Christ and Jesus, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit occurs, adoption. Now in the Roman world, adoption was well known. In fact, there's been archeological discovery and, and research to discover they even had baby mills back in those days where they would sell babies to childless, wealthy Roman couples. Usually they always wanted to buy in a patriarchal culture a male who, a young man, man of uh, uh, upstanding character who could they, uh, they adopt and carry on their family legacy. Jesus comes in, God comes in and restores the beauty of this language by saying that Jesus comes all the way to adopt people of questionable character like me, like you, and pour his spirit into them and make them family. And it, because uh, Jesus comes for us, the father says, what's true of Jesus, my son, when you're in my family, is true of you. In other words, you have this amazing access now to the father, amazing access to the wealth of heaven, the riches and glory. Through the son, we get access to all that the father has. Hmm. Uh, I'm really sorry. 
I'm really sorry about the Denver Broncos. Did you see the front page article in the sports two weeks ago when they played the San Francisco 49ers? Do you remember who coaches the San Francisco 49ers? Let's shout it out. Kyle Shanahan, who's the son of Mike Shanahan, who used to be the coach of the Broncos when they won the Super Bowls in the 90s. Well, Kyle Shanahan grew up in Colorado, graduate of Cherry Creek High School, and the article was about how it was to be a friend of Kyle back when he was at Cherry Creek High School. They interviewed one guy named Zach Zucker, and here's Zach's story. Zach and his family were in San Diego for the 97 Super Bowl against the Packers, uh, and uh, we'll let, let him tell it from here. Kyle called up and said, are you going to the game? And, and Zach said, I'm going to the game with my family. They were all there. Uh, but Kyle says, well, I'd like you to be with me. And while they were having this conversation, here's what happened. Mike Shanahan, dad, grabs the phone out of Kyle's hand. And this is the day of the Super Bowl. And he gets on the phone with me, Zach, and says, you get your expletive to my hotel now. He called his assistant, Mike did, that worked for the Broncos, and you could imagine how security around the team is tight at hotels at the Super Bowl. He made sure I was found, got me inside the team hotel, took me into his room, and got me a pass that said, Mike Shanahan's assistant. Zach says, I was on the field as Mike's assistant for the best Super Bowl ever. When you know the son, all that the father's is yours. <laughs> when you know the son, all that's the father's is yours. That is the connection of the Holy Spirit. He makes us family. And it's not only just that that highest privilege of connection. It's also, back in the Romans text, uh, this adoption, we cry out. Remember what it said? Abba, Father. Now what is the Abba is an Aramaic word for probably dad. It's a, it's a mix of reverence and approachability, intimacy. It's, here's what we need to hear. It's what Jesus called his father. When he prayed, Abba, Father. Do you understand that when the Spirit comes in, when we become a follower of Christ, he takes up residence, the Spirit enables us to pray to the Heavenly Father the same way he did. Abba, Father. The same family, the same intimacy. And then, it's not only this access to all that the Father has and this intimacy with the Father. Thirdly, it's this constant communication that happens. No, look at this verse in Romans 8 where the Spirit's described as helping us communicate. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. How do we pray on those days when we're broken, when we're defeated, when we're grieving, 
when we don't even want to pray, when we feel so far away from God, how do we pray? What I would remind you is that the Spirit in those moments is praying for you and lifting the needs of your heart to the Father. Years ago, I came across this story from a pastor in Ohio named David Hansen. He writes, when I was eight years old, doctors diagnosed my youngest sister with a life-threatening neuromuscular disease. Not long after this, my father began weeping in church every Sunday. He didn't cry out. He didn't buckle in two with his face in his hands. His tear glands flowed, and his voice cracked when he sang the hymns. I never asked him why he was crying. I didn't know what he was thinking. I still don't. But something important happened inside him during worship. David goes on. This uh, went on for several years and tapered off, and my sister is now a wife mother, and special needs educator. In 1989, David says, my wife Debbie got chronic fatigue syndrome. Three weeks, her life changed from being a grad student and an adjunct professor to plowed in bed with a low-grade fever, severe short-term memory loss, and barely enough energy to take a shower. Still somehow, most Sundays, she made it to church. During worship, she sat and wept the same way my father had 30 years before. I figured the same thing was happening inside her that was happening inside my father. The spirit was praying from within. The spirit helps us communicate not only by praying for us, but also by talking to us all the time. In other words, this verse in 1 John tells us that when the Spirit comes in, one of the things he does is helps us understand what the Word of God says. You don't need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that as anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. What John's advocating here is that when the Spirit moves in, the Word of God, the Bible, how the God speaks to us today, it becomes alive to us alive to us. It's not like a computer chip where we suddenly have every verse memorized or know where it is. No, it's not that. What it is, is this gut feel, this subjective decision that you know Jesus is who he says he is, and that this book, well, it's not just a book. It's a voice. It's the voice of Jesus' Father talking to us. Every time we read it, every time we hear it, we understand it's God talking to us. That's part of the anointing of the Spirit. Jesus himself, his story, and his words come alive. So, this, as being part of family, we have this access to the Father, we have this intimacy with him, and we understand that he's always talking to us and praying for us. That's family. Secondly, we understand as part of family that we get the family business. Family business is talked about in passages such as Romans 12, where we talk about we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying or preaching, then preach. 
If, uh, with, with your faith. Is it serving? Serve. Is it teaching? Teach. Encourage? Encouragement. Then give generously if it's giving. Lead. Whatever your gift is, the Spirit graces you with that and gifts you with that. Use it to take the palagenesia across all of reality. What's interesting is there's three other passages in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts given. They're all different gifts, which give the idea that the the gifts that the Spirit gives are inexhaustible. Here's how I would describe it, how we talk about it at Waterstone. Every follower of Christ, because the Spirit's in them, has a a passion. And sometimes that passion is a skill set, Sometimes it's an experience, sometimes it's a vision or a burden, sometimes it's just you want to do something. And you you take that passion, and then you look around the world and say, what are the needs of the world? Where does the kingdom of God need to go? And you take your passions and intersect it with the needs of the world, and we call that your Holy Spirit's sweet spot. That's where you're called to serve and go. Your passions, the needs of the world, come together. Holy Spirit, this call on your life. Now, that call can change every year. can change every five years, every 10 years, new seasons of life, different stages of life, call for different areas of ministry and service. It's always changing. But we are always asking the question, Holy Spirit, you're in me, fill me. Where do you want me to serve Passions, needs, bring it together. Now, if you're in a new season, and we often think about these things around the turn of the year, you received when you walked in today uh, this class, Justice in Action, right? See it? This is a great place to explore the needs of the world and what your passions might be and bring those together to where God might want you to begin serving in a new way this coming year. This class, Justice in Action, is about the mission of God what he intends for the world, how the kingdom of God is at work around the world, but even more in social issues of our day, those issues that you know, we struggle with as a country, as a nation. How does God want the church and Christians to get involved in those things? I highly recommend this class. Over 100 people have taken this class at Waterstone, and again, be forewarned, it can turn your life upside down. We've had people go and live in the inner city, go live around the world. It's just an amazing class. You're being exposed So some big things, some big ideas. And when people get big ideas, they shape culture. As our vision statement says, reshape the culture to reflect God's heart. This class is a great place to explore that. You can sign up for it or get information out in the hub. So that's the family business. The last thing is the family traits. And we see it in texts like Galatians 5 where we said, because the Spirit's in us, God is churning in us through community and relationships these things. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So we live by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. And the Spirit is churning those qualities in us. Now, we don't have time to go through those eight. I just want to camp for a, a minute on the first one, love. So the Spirit moves in. When we follow Christ and he's developing love in us, how does that look? Well, two ways, two directions. First, there's love for those on the outside. 
What the Spirit does all through the book of Acts, and that's the laboratory to see him working, is it says all the time, the Spirit added unto the church, the Spirit added unto the church, the Spirit added unto the church. But then you read those journals, those, the stories, what's actually happened is the apostles are preaching, the deacons are serving, the, the church is providing hospitality, they're keeping their marriage beds pure, all this stuff the church is doing and the Spirit's adding. The church is doing and the Spirit's adding. You see, there's this partnership. There's this this uh, moving together of the spirit and the church and, and amazing things begin to happen. See, what, how this works is we think that if you know, we should go and talk to someone about Jesus, we should invite them to Christmas Eve. We think, well, you know, that's gonna take a lot and maybe a little bit of risk and what, how are they gonna respond? What we forget to realize is before that invitation is ever given, the Holy Spirit has been over here preparing the listener's heart and say, come on, come on. We just don't think about that. And I think sometimes we don't trust him. So we hold back. Folks, one of the biggest days of the year is coming when people are very open to a church gig. Why would you not give this to somebody you work with or you live across the street from? and invite them to Christmas Eve. And watch for yourself how the Holy Spirit has already been on the other side of the street, preparing you. And, and I remind you, the success is not whether or not they come. The success is that you invited them and you've made an impression. That's the win. And watch the wind work. The other thing I think, and I, just real quick, I also think we hold back because we think, well, what if they ask me a question? I don't have my Bible memorized. I don't have the plan of salvation. What, what if they ask a question I can't answer? That is not the point. You see, more than likely, the Spirit's been preparing them and preparing you, and what you'll end up talking about is the fight you had with your spouse last week, or the book here that's on your nightstand, or the movies you've been binging. All of those things will be brought into that conversation. And that's how the Holy Spirit's going to create a need. And you'll get a chance to say, well, here's how I deal with it. I have Jesus. We get so wrapped up in thinking, well, I'm not ready if they ask a question I can't answer. You know what? You will be ready. And it will probably surprise you from the raw material of your life what the Holy Spirit wants to use. Test it. Try him out. Be bold. Invite someone to Christmas Eve and see if the Spirit hasn't already been working. Well, that's out there. Do you know the Holy Spirit's also working in here? In John 17, when Jesus prayed for us, he said, may they be one as you and I, Father, are one. And by the church being one, the world will know that you sent me. In other words, how we love each other in this room and in all the churches that preach Christ around us, how we love each other will be a witness to the world of what love looks like. And the world is watching. Francis Schaeffer, great theologian, is with the Lord now, but he said, we are to love all true Christian brothers and sisters in a way that the world may observe. This means showing love to our brothers and sisters in the midst of our differences, great 
or small, loving our brothers when it costs something, loving them even under times of tremendous emotional tension, loving them in a way the world can see. In short, we are to practice and exhibit the holiness of God and the love of God, for without this we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just quickly, it's not that we have to like every Christian. (laughs) Right? You don't have to like them. You don't have to like me. I don't have to like you. I do have to love you. What that means is I make choices that serve your best interests. And the way we interact with each other means that we are always making choices that help prepare you and I for heaven to be our future glory self now. In other words, it's my responsibility to help you grow. I may not like you, but I have to love you. And in loving you, how can I help you grow and become a more reflecting follower of Jesus? We have to do that for one another. Brennan Manning is a great writer. He's with the Lord now. He's an evangelical Catholic. This one particular day, he was in the Atlanta airport. As he often did, he stopped and he got his shoes shined for an upcoming speaking engagement. And as in the case of Atlanta, it's usually black men shining the shoes of white men. Brandon Manning, the Holy Spirit inside him, getting his shoes shined by a black man, the Holy Spirit prompted him, not an audible voice, but just an impression, an impression. And the impression was, you need to shine his shoes. So Brendan Manning, after the black man was done shining his shoes, he stood up, he tipped him generously, and he said, now you sit down here, sir. I'm gonna shine your shoes. And the black man, he recoiled. He said, you're gonna do what? He said, you sit down here. I'm gonna shine your shoes. And the black man sits down. Brendan Manning starts in. The black man's eyes filled with tears. And he says, there's no white man that's ever talked to me like this before. And when it ended, Brennan says, it was the worst shoe shine ever in the history of the Atlanta airport. But there we were, white Catholic arms wrapped around a black Atlanta Baptist. Come, Holy Spirit, come. That the world would know Jesus comes from God. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what he does. So a few years ago, seminary professor I had <laughs> talked about the Holy Spirit in class. And he had, he had two glasses of water up on the lectern. And uh, he set them up there. And then he lifted up a box, and some of you in the room will need to be educated on this, uh, Elka-Seltzer. Remember? You know it. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Okay, uh, millennials, just Google that, and it'll... it'll... (laughs) The seminary professor said, everyone who follows Jesus, who gives their life to him, is filled with the Holy Spirit. So he took a package, opened it up. He said, every follower of Christ is filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit at work. The family business. The family traits. Every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. But some Christians they leave it wrapped. They don't give parts of their life access from the Spirit. They, they, their sexuality, their, their, uh, their work, their family, their friendships, their time, their money, they don't give him access to every part of their life. And there's no fizz. You see, the question is not, do you have the Holy Spirit? Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. The question is, are there parts of your life that you've not given him access? And you need to unwrap that part of your life and give the Holy Spirit access. Jesus said this in Luke 11. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, you'd give him a snake instead? If he asked for an egg, you'd give him a scorpion? No, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this morning, we're going to unwrap one of the greatest Christmas gifts we've ever received, the Holy Spirit. Receive him into our life. There's a couple of ways we can do this. We're going to have people around the room, three in the back, three in the front, with olive oil, which in Scripture is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And you can go to one of those leaders of the church and ask the Father for the Holy Spirit in three ways. First, fire. Are any of you bored in a dead spot in your Christian life? You just are going through the motions. You just know it's important. You should be there, but eh. Do you need a recharge? Have you asked the Spirit to come in and light the fire? Blow, Holy Spirit, blow. Come, be anointed, renew your faith. Some of you need to bring a sin, habitual sin, back to the attention of God. You need to confess, you need to repent, change your mind, turn your direction. Maybe it's a relationship that you've just been stewing on and you know you haven't done all that you need to do to renew that relationship or reconcile. Do you need to cleanse ask the spirit to cleanse you lastly do you need healing the scripture talks about in the church if you are struggling with a physical illness or an emotional wound go to the leaders of the church have them anoint you with oil and pray over you and those prayers are powerful is there something you need healed so around the room, as we sing a song inviting the Holy Spirit into Waterstone, afresh and anew, feel free to leave your seats. As you come to the person, you can extend your hand and have the cross put on your hand, or you can extend your forehead and have the cross on your forehead. Come, Waterstone, anyone visiting with us today, all who, who want the Holy Spirit, Jesus' greatest gift, come, receive fresh and new the Holy Spirit.